Hey, what's up, Team Egos? Welcome to Optimize, the podcast teaching athletes how T can optimize longevity, recovery, and performance. My name is Vince Lapalusa, and I'm a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu purple belt who has been drinking tea for over 10 years now. And my mission is to teach you how to work with tea so you can recover quicker, play longer, and be more competitive in your athletic pursuits. The health benefits of tea have always been discussed in the sense of antioxidants, anti-cancer properties, and other physical responses. While these are valid and need to be discussed, have you ever thought of working with tea from the mental, emotional, and spiritual aspect? Have you ever thought how these aspects affect your athletic performance? Well, today, my guest Suzette Hammond and I are going to explore those mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of the tea practice, and in doing so, learn how this can help with performance and recovery in our pursuits. Suze is a certified trauma-informed yoga and meditation teacher, amongst being an award-winning tea educator and is actively bringing together two deeply therapeutic physical studies and philosophical traditions. In this episode, you are going to hear how through these practices, Suze and I were able to introspectively discover we weren't living our true lives and needed to pursue what brought us true joy. So grab your tea, sit back, relax, and enjoy this show. Hey, before we jump into the show, if you're looking to connect with like-minded athletic tea lovers to learn from on this tea journey, then stay tuned on how to do so after the show. Suzette, or should I say Suze, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks. You prefer Suze? I guess I didn't I ask you. I go by Suze. Yeah. Suze? Okay. Okay. Awesome. And how are you doing today? I'm doing well, doing well. It is um, still snowing here in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. I understand. So I, I'm in Minneapolis, um, not, not too far from you, but Mm -hmm. I was born and raised in Chicago. So Northwest suburbs, I should say you're it's, I don't know if you're actually in the city, but I'm I'm in the city. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So not actually Chicago, Northwest suburbs, but it's easier to tell people (laughs) who don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Geographically, just like where. (laughs) Exactly. 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 So what are you, uh, what are you drinking today? First, you have a beautiful setup. Like I was telling you before. Oh, thanks. Yeah. What do you have? What do you have in your cup today? Yeah. You know, I thought um, I had a little bit of this uh, sweet potato dance song left over. Um, hmm. From uh, so I, I just this last holiday season started a like a little kind of tea tasting box program. First time doing that kind of thing after playing with the format for the last couple of years, and uh, so the sweet potato was uh, one of the teas in that box, and I have just a little bit left over. Yeah, and it seems like something very appropriate for today. Yeah, cold day, sweet day. So is it actually? I've never heard of this, mm-hmm. this tea before. It actually tastes yeah. like sweet potato, or what's? It does. So you uh, do you know a little something about the dance song type of oolongs? Yes. Yeah, I've at least yeah. heard of oolongs. Are actually one of the teas I am a little inept when it comes to. I'll be honest. Like I green tea, I love green tea. I know a lot about green tea. Mm-hmm, Black tea, mm-hmm. I'm starting to dabble in. Oolongs, I'm a little mm-hmm. inept. So please educate me. Yeah. There's there's it is a huge variety of tea because when you can mm-hmm. think about that, it's basically where white tea leaves off and then all the way up until like black tea. Right. So it's like this huge category of tea. Um, and there's so many different types and styles. And so this style, uh, is generally pronounced Dan song, although it's spelled Dan Kong. So mm. it kind of looks a little confusing, but we say Dan song and it's a style that is regional and specific to in Southern China in Guangdong province. Um, and, the the name there's a few ways that folks interpret the name or translate the name but it basically refers to like single tree or single sometimes it's called like single trunk so instead of growing the tea plants as like this row this hedge of kind of bushes you know Mm -hmm. uh the tea you can kind of think of it's like it's planted like an orchard where there's like trees and it literally looks like that it looks like an apple orchard or something and they isolate all the different 
varieties that have kind of particular fragrances. Kind of similar how like if you did go to an apple orchard, over here's the Jonathan apple section, here's the Macintoshes and, you know, and such like everything is very, you know, um, in its own little area. And so when you go to, I like just calling it an orchard, uh, mm-hmm. the oolong orchard <laughs> in Guangdong, <laughs> yeah. um, where these teas grow, they they are often in these little areas where they they have like a little sign. They'll say, this is the almond fragrance area. <laughs> uh, this is the ginger lily, right? And so they are, they're varietals that are named for what they smell and taste like, just naturally comes from the, the processing. And particularly the sweet potato, a lot of that comes from... Um, the roasting, like this really extensive roasting process that it goes mm. through. And yeah, it really, this is kind of one of my seasonal favorite ones. It really does smell and taste like roasted sweet potato. It's so cool. That it is, is my jam. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a very interesting style of tea. And this time, you know, I, I think there's something that's a little bit, um, I don't know, kind of mysterious and mm. almost a little like, collector sort of quality with these teas because there's so many different varietals and it's like oh i haven't had that one before <laughs> you know yes uh they're so unique they're and they're so distinctive yeah yeah i know it's oolongs are wild like that like i'm actually drinking a milk oolong mm-hmm. right now and oh cool yeah it's we didn't plan that some, by the way they were no we did we did not plan that at all <laughs> uh, it was i actually was looking in my tea cabinet before the, this and it literally dropped out at me. So I was like, Hmm, I kind of forgot about you. I may as well, <laughs> may as well drink you. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll pick you. So it actually chose me if you want to say that um, today, but it's what shocks me about oolongs. And again, I, I feel like I experienced this mostly with oolongs is what you were talking about. Those natural flavorings, like the almond sweet potato, the milk oolongs, the, you get these like plums. It it goes all over. Mm-hmm. Some oolongs taste like chocolate. Some taste like tobacco. Some are just like it's it's everywhere. And then and I I yeah I don't know enough about it. And that's why I'm very interested in this kind of tea because it's like I almost my head can't wrap around that these are just naturally formulated from processing. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. if you can explain that even a little bit deeper, I'm genuinely curious i'm sure other people listening are too yeah it's i mean it's just basically like uh, it's a chemistry reaction you know Mm -hmm. so um any any leaf of any plant is going to be made up of different chemical compounds and some are more complex than others and so like when we smell for example asparagus in green tea you know Mm. That's that's very real. It's not just sort of like, a, oh, imagining I'm smelling, as, uh, smelling asparagus. We are smelling the amino acids that make asparagus smell like it does, right? Mm-hmm. And so through processing tea, like in the, the rolling and shaping and bruising and slow oxidation that we have with oolong, we start with these very simple chemical compounds that start to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and they they very much are the same chemical compounds that you know like make roses smell like roses and Mm. lilac smells like lilac and you know um, and you can tell this by some of the names of them too like you'll see the name of a plant that you recognize Mm -hmm. uh in one of these compounds that are teen you're like oh that totally makes sense uh so Yeah. yeah like it's um it's very much art form you know understanding how how that happens and how you how you steer this and you create this quality that you want yeah Beautiful. That's that peaks both my like creative side as well as my scientific side because I have like the the chemical yeah, engineering yeah. background, and so it's like I love hearing the that there's the science there. But like you said, it's also very much an art form. It's totally art. And I mean, yeah. science and art are arguably the same. Uh, maybe <laughs> yeah no totally like when you watch tea makers at work like that is it's it's pure art form it really is and it's like it's like their whole body you know like smelling the leaves and and touching mm-hmm. them and just understanding like by tactile senses what it is and what stage it's at mm-hmm. it's just that's pure practice and pure art form you know yeah. and yes we understand what goes into it because of science and study of the chemistry of tea mm-hmm. but the the execution of that is it's very much art. It's very yeah. cool. Yeah. I've always said that tea is a five senses experience. And so 
I'm mm-hmm. learning that yeah. myself while also trying to teach that to people and be like, cause like, I'm still like, I always find the, like when I say that, I still find it silly. Like when I say you can hear the T and I'm like, well, I, can I like, it's something like, and you can, yeah. but that's like one of my, yeah, that's, I'm still, definitely. I'm still learning that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not there yet. <laughs> but I'm, still, I'm still learning. So I, yeah, like you're saying, yeah. it's beautiful art form, beautiful science. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I want to dig into you <laughs> and to figure out like, what got you here? You've been in the tea industry for 20 years now. Kind of what what led you on this journey? What started it? Was it have you been drinking tea since birth or like what just I, I need to know this the, the full Suzette story. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, let's see. Where's a good hmm. place to start this? I will say, like, on a perhaps a, a way of describing the that journey in a in a helpful way or i guess mm-hmm. also more hopeful for people who are mm. themselves trying to figure out what they want to do and where they want to go and they're interested in things because sometimes we we hear about or we read people's stories we we get only this like little slice view of what that was like to to be them and how they got there and you think like oh well i can't do that you know um Mm-hmm. That's it's it would be too difficult for me to try to do something like that. So my tea story professionally actually began in 2003 and it kind of began it was basically just like a life transition or a change. So I had just gotten laid off from my job. <laughs> Let's just say this right there. <laughs> it's an October it's an October day. It's Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Um it's cold, it's rainy. Uh, I go to a park, I'm sitting down, I'm on the phone with my partner and I'm just, I'm just crying, you know, uh, like I don't, we had just moved to Portland six months before oh, from yeah. our hometown of Las Vegas. Okay. And I'm just like, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, this is I, I, like, we relocated for this job. This is my career, what I was supposed to be. And at the time, uh, I worked in news. I was a, a journalist. Mm-hmm. So I worked as a, a newscast producer. And I'd been doing that for about four or five years. And I really loved that field. Um, I liked the skills that I learned and I liked how, I mean, it's really freaking challenging making live television. It's so hard. It's such a, a very like present moment activity when you are live on the air doing something and someone's receiving it in real time and there's no editing, right? Cause it's live. Right. But it was so hard. It was so stressful. Mm. Um, and I knew ultimately I kind of already had these, this feeling that I like, I looked at people who were in this field for like seven, 10 years longer. And I'm like, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> like this is yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah. And during that time, my, um, my way of like how I helped like cope with the stress of that uh, was, was drinking tea. I was mm-hmm. also drinking coffee. <laughs> I've worked part-time as a barista for a while. That's how I okay. actually met my partner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I used to take a tea break out on the patio at work every day before my show mm-hmm. and just look at the tea, you know, the tea brewing. And um, it was just a way of just calming and chilling out from the noise before diving into, you know, the arena every day. Yeah. And so that day in October, I had the choice of either, okay, I can start applying at stations across town. I had some friends who worked in, you know, with that parent company of some of those stations. And I was like, okay, well, I could just go there, you know. Um, cause this station wasn't a good fit that I was at. Mm-hmm. And then I also felt, I think I need a break. And so just kind of on a whim, I applied for a job, uh, as a barista working for a coffee and tea company in Portland. Mm-hmm. It was meant to be like the, I'm figuring out my life kind of thing. Yep. Mom and dad, I'm going to go be a barista for a while. I don't know <laughs> what I'm going to do. Yes. <laughs> and I just so happened to be with a really great company, a great place that, uh, valued education, valued training. Mm, um, yeah. I, you know, I did have a little bit of a barista background, but not nearly as much as like what we got into here. Mm-hmm. And very quickly, I just really fell in love with tea and with teaching and started, you know, leading classes for coworkers and taking part in bigger events. And a few years into it, I just realized I don't think I'm 
going to go back to news. I don't think I'm going to try anything else. I think this is what I want to do. Yeah. And I worked in the industry for different companies, different trade organizations for about 13 years. Loved that. Loved all of the, you know, putting to use what I had learned as a journalist and as a producer of just juggling so many different things and doing research and communications, storytelling. I loved Mm -hmm. that part of it. But about 13 years into it, I realized I'm also kind of at another crossroads here because this is, this is not fulfilling in the whole of what I needed. Cause my own tea practice by that point had evolved to be something very personal. Mm. Um, you know, I studied tea ceremony. Uh, I, you know, practice tea in just a much more personal way. Uh, I've, you know, shared with you before, like I, you know, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, who passed away recently is, is a root teacher of mine. So, you know, I study, uh, Zen Buddhism and the Vietnamese tradition. And hmm. so tea really meant something more to me, but my professional identity of tea was like this one thing of like technical trade and training classes. And, yeah, you know, we didn't talk about like the emotional part of that, right. Of tea. <clears throat> and so about seven years ago, I became self-employed and again, made that choice of like, I could either start, you know, this hamster wheel again yeah you know or i could do something new and so seven years ago when i took that leap and decided to be (laughs) self-employed for keeps um and started being tea so that's my my company (laughs) do education and training and doing it in a more balanced and holistic way because i was tired of being two different versions of myself and so that's where i am now that's You're beautiful. chatting with you <laughs> seven years later. Here we are in, in the present. Here we are. Oh, no, that's, that's beautiful. That's, a, that's, that's a, uh, I, I would say for me personally, that's actually very inspiring. I am on a similar journey where as of the new year, I'm employing myself, like I'm self, self-employed. self I'm trying to pursue this, this tea world too and seeing what, where life yep. takes you. So it's very similar. I went through same things of like realizing seeing where people are in my job, like 10 years from like from where I'll be, I'll be like, that doesn't fit me. Like that's not where I want to be. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I'm glad I know that now let's work towards getting Mm -hmm. out of it. And then here I am. So it's, and I know you're not alone. I know I'm not alone. Like we're, we're not alone in this. Like there's other people listening to this that it's a very the, lonely path, it feels like, in that moment, but you're yeah. not. Like, no. there really are people who are going through that same thing. Exactly. And and it can be stressful. It can be, I mean, our, right now I'm on a kick of, like, motivation and feeling feeling good. But, like, those those self-doubts creep in all the time and, and stuff like that. And it's good to have. Definitely. Yeah, it's good to have those things to fall back on, whether it's, like, your tea practice or, or something that you can ground yourself remind yourself, be back in the present and then continue moving forward because you made this decision because yeah. it's truly who you are. So it's like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, it's like a moment of clarity, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, so that's, um, that's amazing. I, I love that. And <clears throat> I love hearing, I mean, anytime anybody's pursuing a passion of theirs and living their true authentic self, I think that's, that's just what life's about is to, find whatever is your authentic self and pursue it. So yeah, thank you for sharing. I mean, that. and to be fair too. Yeah, you're welcome to be fair. Like when I first started, um, uh, self-employment, I, what I thought I would be doing is very different than what I'm doing now. So I also put <laughs> yeah. that out there. Like, you know, you have to be open to that. It evolves and you just kind of keep listening to that, that inner voice of, why did I want to do this in the first place? Because mm-hmm. it's very easy to get distracted by all the things that kind of keep pulling you back into old versions of your, you know, previous <laughs> way right. of doing things. Uh, but yeah, like what I initially thought I'd be doing is totally different than what I'm doing now. And that's, yeah. that's, that's great. You know? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And actually, so a question on that whole listening to yourself and, and kind of hearing that I'm curious what you mean by that. Cause I've had people ask me like, Hmm. when I've made decisions, like bigger decisions, like how did I know that these were the right decisions? And like, 
I've told them my response, but I'm curious, like, how did you know that this was truly what you wanted to do and should pursue? Yeah. Um, like I said, it, for me, it was the awareness that I had been starting to create two different versions of myself and okay. <clears throat> that there's the, there was the professional and there was the personal. And I was really tired of kind of putting on airs and trying to be one thing when, and it, it's not like it was, I was lying to anybody. It's just, it wasn't the full thing. There just wasn't a space for talking about it. I mean, so for example, in the tea industry, when we want to talk about health benefits of tea, mm -hmm. we largely relegate that conversation to talking about like antioxidants Mm -hmm. and label claims that you could put on a tea and you know what sort of things that we can say that treats or prevents this disease we completely negate mental health we don't talk about mm -hmm. emotional health and spirituality is off the table um and and that severs tea from its traditional cultural roots right like tea is it's not a commodity product it's always been so much to other people and so when I started noticing that, just even like on a technical level, that there were things that I couldn't talk about or couldn't share, or if I'm representing a brand, like I can represent them in this one way, but I can't do these other things. Mm, right. That got to be really complicated. Um, and so when I started to notice that, I realized that that, if I just keep listening to that, anything that's asking me to be something different than who I am, then I need to question that before moving forward with it, you know? And that could be something like a client wants me to produce a, a class for them or come in and do a training for them, or I get asked about providing a service that technically I can do. Like a lot of people ask mm -hmm. me about making blends, for example. Technically, I have a bit of the background for that, right? I've managed tea programs. I've developed tea blends. <clears throat> That's not my area of expertise. It's never been my focus. My focus for my entire career in tea has been education. Okay. Um, so just cause I can't do it doesn't mean that I want to do it. <laughs> and so it's like that, you know, asking about, okay, is this, is this really, is this going to keep me on that road of being clear and truer to what I want to see happen in tea? And if it's just a distraction, maybe I can let go of that. Maybe I don't need to do that. Yeah. And that means saying no to some jobs too. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, but yeah, that's for me, that's my measuring <clears throat> stick is like, is, is this something that's going to put me back in that position of being like, here's a version of my identity that is different than how I want to be. And if it is, then that's not for me. Yeah. Mm. That's all. I, I love everything. I'm curious, what, was your, what was your answer? How do you, how do you answer that? <laughs> that's a, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Throw it back at me. Um, well, first, before I, I say that, I do want to say thank you for mentioning the, the health benefits thing about taking it Ooh. past just that. I, I call it the physical health benefits. Like you said, the antioxidants, the polyphenols, yeah. stuff like that. I call those the physical health benefits. And this yeah. podcast is actually about uncovering the health benefits of tea for people. And mm -hmm. when I ask that question all the time to my guests, they immediately go to like the anti-cancer properties, the uh, anti-aging properties that mm -hmm. people talk about. And awesome. Like I, I love those. Like again, yeah. the chemistry side of me, I love that stuff. It's, it's a, it yeah, fascinates it's all good stuff. me, but there's so much more. And you're the first person to like bring it up without me kind of prodding and, and prompting it. So <laughs> thank you. That's all I'm going to say. I, I appreciate yeah. <laughs> hearing that from you. Um, and I, and I am, we're going to dig a little bit into that spiritualness a little bit more, but I'll answer your question now. Um, yeah. So for me, the, I am a big believer that the answer is always within and your body speaks to you. So, well, I'll say my body speaks to me. I don't know you. I don't know how your body talks mm -hmm. to you, but I'll, oh, yeah. I'll, I think, I'll own I think my everyone's body. does. It's just a matter of mm -hmm. if we're attuned to listening to it yet, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so I, I'm not perfect at it. No one, or I'm, yeah, I'm not perfect at it, but when I feel like my, my body, my mind, so I always like break down myself kind of like we were just talking about like, okay, 
how am I doing physically? How am I doing mentally? How am I doing emotionally? How am I doing spiritually? How am I doing sexually? How am I doing just everything? Like all the LYs, just like, how am I doing mm-hmm. in all of those fields? Because that is true health to me. It's not just like, am I going to the gym every day? Because that's yeah. part of it. That's a good chunk. But if I'm going to the gym, but my mind is, I'm just stressed constantly. Like I, that's, I'm not healthy. So when I'm checking kind of all those boxes, I'm really in tune mm-hmm. with my direction and my path forward. And so for me, that it, it just is, it's clear. And actually I, I feel like a literal guttural instinct. So my, yeah. my gut speaks yep. to me loudly when I, when I'm, like I said, when I'm clear mm-hmm. in those pillars of like the physical, mental, emotional, whatever, my gut speaks loudly to me and I'm able yep. to listen then and then and then i'm when i'm able to listen sometimes it speaks so loudly like i can't not pursue whatever that is and it's yeah it's awesome and like i wish it was that clear all the time but there are some things that were in my life that led me to where i am right now and like the choices of becoming self-employed even though mm-hmm. quote unquote mm-hmm. i'm i would say i'm not ready but like when are you ever ready just it's it felt like you're it was not i'm yeah, you're not, you're not ever ready. Yeah. So just go for it. And so that's, it all starts with what are my daily habits and routines of like making sure I'm checking those boxes of my, my health, my overall wellness. Yep. Because then, and then, and only then can I actually hear the voices that speak to me from my body. Mm-hmm. So does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, it does. That's a great answer. Yeah. I mean, I think it's worth, you know, pointing out for folks who uh, are curious about like that idea of um, gut intuition and such that, you know, our, our gut brain, our enteric nervous system is actually now believed to be the older brain in the body that it evolved before Hmm. the brain upstairs. And we actually have more mirror neurons and we produce 95% of our serotonin in our gut. Right. Mm-hmm. So like everything happens yeah. here. So like when you have that feeling, it's not just like ingestion, you know, <laughs> Something, <laughs> right. Like that's a very real, like, um, instinctual pull, you know? Yes. Um, and it, it takes, it takes some consistency and some practice to listen to that, but, uh, that's a very real thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and well, well said. I actually didn't know that about the gut brain being uh, older which is super cool and again yeah kind of makes it's sense cool. to me because it's all very new it yeah it's it well it's like we're now discovering i think what yeah everyone knew in the like if like our ancestors mm-hmm. probably knew it because it's like it's instincts it's almost like what i've told Absolutely. people is is my gut will if someone presents an offer to me and it's like a yes or no like do you want to do this or do you not want to do this my gut is the first thing to respond. And then my mind, well, it goes through like the logistics of it. It's like, eh, should you do uh-huh. that? That kind of costs a lot of the, money or the thinking brain. You, yeah. Mm-hmm. You could get hurt doing that. Or this is like, you might be busy that day or like, what's this person going to think if you do this? And that's when the self doubt mm-hmm. comes in. But then I have to reel myself back in and be like, well, what did my gut say at the first? It was a yes. So oh. I should do it. Even though I'm really afraid yeah. I should do it. <laughs> and then sometimes I also get extreme yeah. no's. I'm like, it's like, no, 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 no. And, and then my mind sometimes like, is like, well, maybe it won't be that bad, but it's like, uh, no, I, I, my body told me no. So probably no at this, at this point, which is sometimes harder mm-hmm, for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's part of that practice of learning, learning to listen, you know, mm-hmm. um, and learning also what is, what is, you know, perhaps an unhelpful pattern that you're actively trying to work through and what is really a clear message, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So maybe, I don't know if this is switching gears, but I'm curious about your tea educating Mm -hmm. and digging into that because I know there's the, you have the meditation practices and that might almost be a better transition to jump into now, but I am curious about the, the educating and the whole meditation. If they're one in like one in the same if they're combined or if they're different. But if you want to talk about either, I'll, let, I'll, I'll leave it open. Path is yours to choose. 
about yeah. kind of what you want to discuss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, like it's, um, you know, they, they are connected. And that's, that's the reason why, you know, creating this, this space, that was the intention of that. So, um, you know, the, I guess you could say, like, I teach in primarily two, two different areas now. Um, I, I do work also privately with folks or with organizations, but especially like right now in the pandemic, you know, everything I do is, is online. So mm -hmm. the two main audiences I'm teaching for, I have a think of like general ed program, okay. right. Um, that I offer classes through, right. So it's a, it's a membership program. That's very intentional because I, I didn't want the education that I create to be so checkbox and transactional oriented. I wanted it to be very relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, we're like every month and every season we're doing different things and it's a very subtle practice and very sensory and, and small. Like I teach about small things, right? I'm not someone yeah. who's going to, I'm not the teacher that if you want to lecture about all the, the, you know, the ancient, um, mountains where you know the classical poor come from and you're not i'm not that teacher yeah. <laughs> like i could probably do the research for that and and put it together because i'm mm -hmm. familiar with it but i'm not i'm not a lecturer i'm not a scholar right mm. um, i'm going to be the person who's going to teach you about the brewing and the preparation and the intuition of that and so i teach classes like that in that program i also teach tea meditation in that program <laughs> so the other thing that i wanted in the the education work I do aside from I wanted it to be relationship oriented was mm -hmm. I wanted there to be equal focus on tea as a meditation practice and tea as a contemplative practice, you know, mm -hmm. not something that is kind of separate or you have to go seek it out or whatever, but I presenting them side by side. So every month I'm presenting those topics side by side for people. Um, so fully half of what I teach now is actually tea meditation, which is really interesting because compared to like a decade ago, um, when I first started teaching tea as meditation, um, it was a little bit more of a niche thing. Like I'd offer it occasionally, but the, I didn't really have a space yet where I could offer it consistently for people, you know, and really develop it. It was considered such a, um, an offshoot kind of random idea, you know? Yeah. So slowly over time and building that space where I could do both. Um, and then the other education work I do, the other kind of half, is my teacher training program, which is okay. working with folks who have a tea background, who either professionally or personally, like a very strong tea background, who want to do more with education themselves in some capacity, hmm. but haven't ever really had a space where they've been able to study, you know, pedagogy and how humans learn and how we actually present tea in a way that's not so scholarly and academic and hierarchy focused, you know, mm. um, how we create those experiences. Um, and that also is a very blended learning space. Like we have people who, you know, work for a tea company and they're going to be the trainer for the staff, right? Right alongside mm -hmm. someone who is, you know, a yoga teacher and body worker who also has a tea background and they want to offer tea as a contemplative practice too. And so that mm -hmm. these two students can be in the same space, studying together, learning from each other is radically different than like how I, you know, experienced tea in the industry coming up where all the people in the room, it was assumed that you all either worked for companies or you all had a business or you were industry trade for, you know, we excluded a whole lot of people. We didn't have like bloggers and podcasters and yoga teachers and things like that in the room. We didn't, you know, yeah. it was very barriered who got to be in that space. Yeah. Um, and so I really like that these two spaces are so blended and it's, it's very much about that, you know, the physical and the sensory alongside the, the emotional and mental and spiritual. Mm, beautiful. You said a word pedagogy. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. can you, can you define that? It's a study of learning. The study of learning. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, then learning. I just learned. It used to, there used to be like, yeah, like kind of uh, um, variations on that. It used to apply specifically to, to children's learning, but now it's more broadly accepted as it's, it's the study of education. It's the study of how we learn, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, for example, classroom teachers, when going to school to learn how to be a teacher, you actually would have to seek out 
opportunities to study pedagogy, to study like adult learning theory and experiential learning theory and how we learn and structure of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I have teachers in, in my space who are like, yeah, I didn't study this in school. Like I had to seek it out if I wanted to, if I wanted to learn about how to teach. Right. <laughs> and I'm a teacher, wow. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Right. And so I really wanted in the T space for there to be a, a place where people could go to study how to teach. Yeah. Um, because again, like I didn't have that growing right. up in the T world. Um, and I wanted to see that. I wanted to see a space where we have that. Yeah. Super interesting. Um, and I love that too, cause it can be, tr- I mean, you're, everyone's a teacher in some, in some way, shape and form. So that's a, that's yeah. just a very valuable skill that, yeah, when you think about it, it's like, yeah, no one really does teach you how to teach. You just teach. <laughs> you just nope. go at it. Yep. And it's like, that's not right. Like that's just do it. Yeah. Just no. do it. And it's that difference of like if when you when you when you go to um like a tea seminar or session or something like that, if you've had that experience of sitting with somebody who knows a whole lot about that subject, right? In the corporate world, you would say they're the SME, right? The subject matter expert. They're Mm -hmm. great at delivering the information, but they're just like talking at you. Yeah. There's, it's very like, they're not connecting with the audience. There's nothing about this that's integrated. That's the difference Mm -hmm. between someone who is a a subject matter expert versus Mm -hmm. somebody who has a, who is a teacher who really thinks about what is the whole of this experience, the timing, the pacing, how we're involving the students, what the activity is, what the, how that learning fits in with their, their daily life. Like how's that relevant for them to learn this thing that you're talking about? Yeah. That's the difference with a teacher versus someone who is just leading, you know, um, leading a talk. Yeah. No, it's uh, that's beautifully put. And it goes back to the whole relationship building that you're creating. Um, that's where I've learned the best. That's where just people get the most out of life is when relationships are being built and you're able to understand each other and come from, even though you come from different places, you're able to come together and learn yeah. from each other and build this relationship. And then that builds a strong community too, which life's about community and, mm-hmm. and doing that. So that's beautiful. Um, yeah. You, you do have something about trauma-informed classes. What exactly mm-hmm. is that? Mm. Oh, that's a big topic. Well, okay, so <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put it back at you first and ask, what do you think that means? Like, what 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 perks your ear when you yeah. read that, and you're like, huh? I wonder what that. Yeah. Yeah, trauma-informed is. I don't know if I've ever heard those two words together. So that's, so that's what piqued mm. my interest is, okay. is that, and I, I, what I believe, what I conceptualize just from trauma informed classes is it's ways of working through your trauma and with someone or with a group of people while also I'm assuming sharing tea and in a tea type ceremony or tea type situation. That's where my mind is. I could be very wrong though. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, it's not, not that far off. Um, yeah. So this is a, it's a, it's a methodology or protocol you could almost say, because there are kind of specific, um, approaches and, and tactics that we're learning that has really become, um, a, like a focal point, not only in just classroom education, like I, you know, I follow and learn from a lot of classroom educators, but also in, in some other spaces, particularly in social justice, um, among people who are like body workers, right? Cause you have such a close and intimate relationship with students and, and students through their bodies, right? So like yoga teachers, there's mm-hmm. trauma-informed yoga, for example. Um, the, the reason for bringing that awareness into really any education space is it's the recognition that almost all human beings at this point <laughs> have experienced something that is traumatic in their lives. Something mm-hmm. that um, that's a sensitive point. I mean, like we are living through a huge collective trauma right now <laughs> in this pandemic, right? right? Yeah. Like, this is probably like the best example of that, right? Yeah. Um, how much of our lives and our systems have been uprooted because of this and continue to be so. And the years of processing and reckoning that's going to happen as a result of this, whenever we get through the, pandemic stage of this and get more into the endemic kind of coping with it. Right. Right. And so a trauma informed practice um, 
teaches educators to understand and acknowledge what that means. Like what is, what does trauma do in the body? What does it do to a community to the person who directly experienced it as well as folks around them? Right. So there's like inherited trauma. Um, An example of that would be looking at the descendants of folks who survived the Holocaust. Right. There are differences in their being and in their body even though they didn't experience that directly, but their ancestors did, right? right. So there's intergenerational inherited. There is, you know, just the daily trauma that happens in so many communities still. Mm-hmm. There's trauma in environments specifically. I mean, like classrooms are filled with this, right? How many students have experienced bullying or harassment, uh, racism, oppression in the classroom, in a place they're supposed to be safe, right? Right. So- a trauma-informed lens teaches educators how to recognize that and how to create a space that avoids replicating that trauma and adding to mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and works to create a place where there's there's some sense of safety. We can't create a space that's totally safe, right? No one is ever fully like, and you as the teacher don't get to determine that for somebody else too, right? They yeah. determine if they feel safe with you, right? But you can work to create something that is rooted in safety. Mm. Um, and so that includes like the language that you use, the structure of the experience, the environment, the learning goals, how you as a teacher determine, you know, what would you say is acceptable versus not acceptable, right? What is correct versus not correct for something? Mm-hmm. Um how your students relate to each other and how you're encouraging them to connect with each other and how you're helping to foster this sense of safety within the body. Because one thing that uh, leading researchers in trauma treatment do agree on now is the, the treatment for experiencing acute or chronic trauma is not the primary method is not medication. (laughs) It used to be, but it's not uh, anymore. Thankfully Mm -hmm. people still get prescribed medication and numb it out, but it's the primary method now is helping people to foster connection with their body because the reactions live in the body, right? When you feel activated by a situation it happens in the body. And so if we can foster a sense of being able to come home and feel safe here, Mm -hmm. we can start to work through and heal some of that over time, of course, right? And my interest in including this with tea is because tea is something that is body-based. And I think we overlook that so often. Mm-hmm. We overlook how on the surface, it feels like such a simple ask to come to a class and have somebody brew and prepare tea for you, a stranger, and you taste it and experience it with them. And then you are invited to talk to them about what you think about it. Right. And you're doing this in front of strangers too. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just, it's a very loaded situation actually. And that <laughs> could be something where it, it creates an opportunity for acceptance yeah. and being seen and feeling like this is a space that I can, I can be me and I can kind of connect for a moment or it could be a place where we shut people down. Mm. Um, universally of the folks who come to teacher training with me, every single trainee has commented that they've been in spaces as T people like professionals and industry where they felt that, that they were yeah. told their way of doing something or saying something was wrong. Um, they, they felt that they were not right somehow. And yeah. when we do this work through becoming trauma informed, which again is a process, it's a protocol. There's lots of avenues where somebody can study this in various other fields. Um, to kind of learn that we learned that it's, it's not you, right? It's the systems around you that created this. So there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with you and we can create something that's better for the folks who will come after us. Yeah. So that's why like all of my classes have this approach. All of them incorporate, it was not like a trauma informed specific class. Like all of them incorporate this. Um, And in the teacher training program, that's also what, I'm encouraging for trainees to do too. Like you don't have to, you can, if you want, like create something that say, if you're working with folks in recovery or something like that, you want to create a very sensitive space for them. Um, But you can also infuse it for everything you do because it's just much more inclusive to teach that way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And everyone benefits from it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's a, yeah, that the, 
unfortunate thing that I've learned over the last couple of years is that the you were talking about about like the the Holocaust survivors, for example, like the the trauma that's mm-hmm. passed down mm-hmm. through generations. It's fascinating to me. Um, I yeah yeah it's 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 remarkable like how just genetically trauma can alter you and you can pass that gene along to other people and yep. that's stuff that's it's it's so unfortunate and i've heard like it's up to like 10 generations so there there's stuff that mm-hmm. people that mm-hmm. i don't even know yeah. who my ancestors are like i'll never know who they are i'm still dealing with their with their crap <laughs> and it's like like that's yeah. that's wild to think about and so the the space that you're providing to okay let's learn about this let's figure our stuff out so that we can help out our ancestors or our descendants 10 generations from now Mm -hmm. that's a cool that's a cool way of like kind of thinking about it and looking at it and like you said it's it's open i mean it's it's something you can do every single day in every interaction you have with people like you said the the words that you choose um the just being intentional with everything and it's hard it's because you're not going to be intentionally like present in every moment and you're going to slip up but then you can also be conscious consciously aware that's like oh i kind of slipped up and i made a mistake and then you can go and you can reconcile those those mistakes and it's it's all Mm -hmm. coming back to just being present from from what i'm picking up on it's just like bringing it back to like coming back being aware of yourself and what you provide to a room, like when you step into a room with other people, do you bring in energy? What are you bringing? Mm-hmm. Like, are you bringing like positive yeah. vibes or are you going to bring people down? Because it's a real thing and I've experienced mm-hmm. and I've been both and I've experienced both <laughs> and it's not fun. Yep. <laughs> so, nope. it's, that's a, yeah, I, that's a, that's a, that's a lot there. Um, it's, it's awesome stuff that you're doing. And important, uh, very important work as well. Because like you said, we're all going through a collective trauma right now. So let's learn how to deal with it and cope with it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So how does the kind of going to the T meditations, how do you do you structure those? Is there like a a way of meditating with your tea that you mm. structure, or is it kind of change every day dependent? I guess like can you take me through like an overview of what a tea meditation would be like? Yeah, um, yeah, it's a really good question. So it, I think one thing that's important to um, to acknowledge first is that it it doesn't come from like a specific lineage or tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a very flexible practice and it's very adaptable to however you want to prepare your tea um you know you can work with it gong fu style right you could also a a lot of times my kind of default most common way i teach people is working with tea in a bowl you know because it's very portable and personal and simple like you don't have to you know if if you're new to working with a gaiwan or a small pot or something like that that takes a little bit of your intellectual energy in that moment Mm -hmm. that you're not focusing on yourself right so we can work towards that Um, so we do teenable and, um, you know, using that as the means of training ourselves for how we, how we pay attention, what we're noticing and also how we're paying attention, noticing what's happening in our body too, Mm. um, is typically how I do it. And the practice I offer is it's a guided one too. So, um, and by that, I mean, like it's narrated the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody's ever gone to, like, say, a guided meditation or a yoga nidra, for example, um, I study yoga nidra too. Uh, it, that's a narrated meditation the whole time versus something that's done in complete silence. Mm. And the 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 benefit of that, again, kind of speaking to that trauma informed piece, um, silence can be uncomfortable for people for a whole wide variety of reasons. Right? You can mm-hmm. experience um, you're fidgety, you're bored you're comfortable, right? Um, you may also have been in places where silence was not something that was restorative or peaceful for you. It was um, a terrifying situation, right? Mm. So when things are quiet, you don't like it, right? It's uncomfortable for you. So meditation then that is guided and narrated uh, can be very supportive. And it's not something where like sometimes people might feel a little self-conscious that, oh, if I were if I were really meditating, I'd be able to sit here and do be completely quiet by myself and, mm. you know, but I'm 
I'm not that good of a meditator, so I need a, a narrator or a guide. That's not true. Like guided meditation, same thing with like dream work too. Um, in indigenous cultures, that is something was like <coughs> ancient. That's that's really ancient. Like that has been around yeah. for so long. So it's not like practicing with a guide is a lesser form, right? right. If anything, it's a more compassionate form. Hmm. And so the style that I lead most of the time is guided. And then there are some sessions I do where there's a, I like to call it a structured silence. So we'll start with a, an activity together that's a little guided and then have a period of time where you're on your own and we're quiet. Mm -hmm. But it's um, in, in Thich Nhat Hanh's tradition, they call this noble silence. Noble silence means um, if you don't have to talk, you don't. But it doesn't mm. mean that like no sound can be present, right? <laughs> it's not a severe kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, people are free to move or shift or make noise if they want, but they're just trying to find what is a lesser level of noise within that feels mm. like it's supported and and comfortable for them. Yeah. Yeah. What did so this is something that's just coming to mind with like the if for people who and, and this is just because you use the example of people are uncomfortable in silence, like, and that's maybe due to mm -hmm. a past trauma that, that I, or you yeah. don't know about. Um, what do you think about like the concept of si like kind of sitting in that silence to see what those demons are and like to like confront them head on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I've, I've done a lot of study around that. And um, I would say generally the best piece of advice would be for somebody who wants to suggest that to someone is honestly have a mental health practitioner available for you if you're going to do something like that. Mm. Because um, we don't know what will come up for people. Mm -hmm. And um, we if we're not trained mental health experts and clinicians, we're not fully prepared to receive that and do something for them. And even also in that moment, if you were somebody's tea teacher, you cannot also be their therapist at the same time, right? It's like a duality that, you know, it's um, clinically unethical. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. I would say probably I wouldn't do it uh, just for me personally. Um, yeah. I do structure my practices where if the invitation to explore something that is a little bit more sensitive is there. It's done from a very wide lens, right? Mm -hmm. um, like I've seen practices, for example, where someone's encouraged to, God, I remember like one cue where the, the leader was like thinking of, imagine yourself experiencing like your, your deepest, um, most traumatic moment in your life. And like to conjure that up in yourself right there mm -hmm. so that you could feel it. And I was like, oh my freaking God, that's horrible to ask somebody to do that. You know, right. like you are not their therapist and even therapists shouldn't do that. Right. Cause that's actually one of the um, things that mental health workers are starting to become more aware of now in spaces is that asking somebody to confront their trauma head on is only asking them to relive it. It's not mm. helping them heal that and move through it, right? So if you're only in spaces where you're asked to relive the best, mo the, wor the worst moments of your life, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's actually, it's not, it's not so helpful, right? Versus cultivating something that enriches someone's greater sense of spirituality and a connection to the, themselves and to the world around them, right? Where you can yeah. have the awareness of what is going on and happening in your life, but you don't have to like dwell in it. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I remember in one of my trainings, a, another clinician said, which I thought was really, I'd never heard it phrased this way. And I thought it was really potent. Um, she said, catharsis isn't real. Hmm. And what she meant by that was the practice of trying to instigate a catharsis in somebody to cry mm -hmm. it out and you'll, you know, get over it, whatever. Uh, apparently now we realize that actually doesn't help. <laughs> it's not real. Like somebody goes through it. And in that moment, yes, they may feel like they've had a good cry. Right. Um, and have released something, but it doesn't help them in the long run. Like it doesn't release something that, you know, is no longer there. So it's still there. Right. All mm -hmm. you've done is just kind of like activate them for a moment. And I thought that was really, um, 
a really potent way of phrasing that. Yeah. You know, like catharsis is not, it's not something that's helpful, right? To try to instigate that. And especially, you know, like I said, if you're not prepared to receive that, you know, so if somebody wants to do work with a, a person or a community that could be more sensitive, um, I, my suggestion to them is always to have somebody who is a, a trained mental health professional and an expert in that community, like who really knows that group or those people very well, and who can separately in the session be that resource for them. Hmm. Um, so that you don't have to try to manage that at the same time, because you may not be prepared for what you're asking people to open up. Yeah, no, that's a, that, that was well put. Um, yeah, uh, amazing. So <clears throat> I guess what's, what's like next for you? <laughs> what's, uh, what do you see next in, in Suze's life? Like how, how's this 2022 and beyond looking for you and your practice of being tea? Yeah. Um, you know, for, for me, like a, a big core of my work right now really is, um, is investing that time and that resource into teacher training and working with people who, um, who want to be educators and who are on that, you know, that front line of wanting to work with people and doing that good work. And, um, you know, I, I still love teaching. I love teaching. Of, of course, it's, it's what I do. I have a, over the years, like become comfortable with the idea of, you know, I mean, I'm getting older. I don't have the same energy to do things like I used to. Um, I used to travel intensively for my work. Like there are periods of my professional life where I spent like 70% of the time traveling. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And even prior to the pandemic, like I was still doing like six or eight shows a year, like, you know, teaching at festivals and trade shows and things like that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, realizing like, I don't have that kind of expansive energy now and that's okay. Like my work can be quieter. It can transition to a more quiet phase of my life. So I like the, the, the smallness and intimacy of the classes that I teach now for just like our, our member community. Like we do some really just kind of nerdy stuff together that's so yeah. lovely because it's you know like it's just it's just our community and they're here for it they sign up for it right so we're going to do a you know a little small class on those things together um and then you know for the the teacher trainers like it's more of a realizing like you're the ones who are going to pick up this torch now right and so how mm -hmm. can i leave this this world a, a little bit of a better place right um, and I'm, I'm really invested in, in that work in, in mentoring and teaching and working with others, um, so that there are more spaces available, you know, like I basically creating the spaces I wish I had when I was coming mm -hmm. up, you know, so I yep. didn't have to think that this one way of doing or being things was the only way, right. It got me far. Like I wouldn't change anything about that experience, but, um, yeah, like it's 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 just very it's just a lot to think on. Like what more there could have been, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, so that's yeah. mostly what I'm focusing on is um thinking about the next folks who come after. That's beautiful. Awesome. Well, if people <laughs> want to work with you, where where can they go to to contact you and and find more find out more about your work that you provide? Mm. So, uh, I am on social media, uh, Instagram and being, uh, Instagram and Facebook at being T. So that's being like human being. Uh, I also am on Twitter by more of a lurker on Twitter. I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really tweet very much. Yeah. I don't know what to do with Twitter. I just read stuff. <laughs> I follow other people. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm there, but <laughs> you know, you're more likely to find me on Instagram. Um, mm -hmm. my website is being uh, folks can also email me at hello at being t.com if they'd like to chat a little bit more and um, just get a sense for other programs that we do here. Uh, I teach weekly live sessions uh, that also are available for drop-in. So I do have, you know, like I said, the membership program, but um, there's other two other spaces I teach in team meditation on Friday mornings and Sunday mornings um, that are available for drop-in anytime. Somebody can come to a session uh, and just check that out and see what they see, what they think of the practice. Uh, so there's, yeah, there's lots of places where folks can reach me and learn a little bit more. Amazing. Yeah. And I'll be sure to include everything on the show notes. 
but thank you, Suze. I really, this was a beautiful conversation and thank I you. think an important, an important yeah, one too. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Well, have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Remember to check the show notes for all links. If you want to optimize your longevity, recovery, and performance, then join our free optimized Facebook group now so you can interact with other athletic tea lovers and learn from their experiences. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes and follow the prompts. Thank you for being here and have a beautiful day.